Welcome to Central Queensland Region's Leading and Learning Podcast. These are informal conversations between leaders about educational issues and initiatives. We share them to inspire and inform you so that you may have a greater influence through your instructional leadership. custodians of the land across central Queensland on which we play, learn and work. I respect and honour Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander educators listening. I recognise the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land and commit to building a brighter future together. Hi, I'm Trudy Graham, your host for the show. I'm an Assistant Regional Director in Central Queensland based in Rockhampton. And today I'm very excited to introduce Christina Rigo, our Director for Regional Services. Welcome to this episode, Christina. It's great to have you. Thank you. And uh, in the usual CQ way, let's kick off with a one-word barometer. How are you? And our question, uh, our conversation starter the most surprising thing about your job? Okay, so one word barometer, I'm going to say intrigued. Um, And the most surprising thing about my job, um, I've been in this position now for um, just on five, six months, uh, and I'm still learning lots of things about my job. But the most surprising thing is the variety that's involved. So dealing with everything from fleet vehicles to um, parental complaints to supporting our administration officers and working with schools around policy and procedure. Yeah, wow, it sounds really diverse. And it is a bit of a, uh, an, a role that we don't probably fully appreciate and understand mm-hmm. because of its uniqueness. Yeah. <laughs> well, Christina, my one word barometer would have to be rejuvenated and... The most um, surprising thing about my job is that I now get to record a podcast every fortnight and get to have interesting conversations with people. And the conversation that we're going to have today is around case management. And I know this was a topic that you presented at the principals conference. I know not everyone was able to sit in on that virtual workshop but I'm sure that so many people will benefit from hearing the insights you have and the information that you can share with us from, about case management because getting this right can make a huge difference Absolutely. for our students and our staff, parents. I think it's got a bit of a ripple effect, isn't it? hasn't it? Sure does, absolutely. Um, and I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about what case management is. People sometimes think... Um, It has to be very complex and difficult. And while sometimes it is, because we're managing some very complex and challenging behaviours, it's also our everyday work in supporting students. So let's kick off with describing case management and getting that language right. Okay. Um, I've been working in this area for a long time and I did a little bit of research trying to find an actual definition for case management that was relevant to the school setting. So case management has its foundations in um, that medical background, social work, uh, which is hard sometimes to translate to an educational setting. 
So there was some work done by um, the Queensland Guidance Counselling Association in conjunction with um, the Edith Cowan University. And uh, Terry DeJong came up with a um, quite a long-winded definition for what school-based case management looks like, but it has some key words in it. Um, so if you go to the team site, you'll be able to see uh, the case management framework that is um, up and running for the CQ region. And on that placemat, we have the definition for what case management is. Um, I'll read it out, but as I said, it's a bit long-winded, but some of the, the key words I hope will strike a chord with people. So the key features of case management, effective school case management is primarily, it's a collaborative process, intrinsic to the delivery of quality services designed to meet the needs of school students who have support requirements. It's mindful of including the views of students, it's student focused and aims to develop, monitor, disseminate and evaluate a plan of action to enable these students to function to the best of their ability and circumstances within and beyond the school system despite having support needs. So for me, there's a couple of key phrases in there that speak to um, the policies and requirements that we have within education too. And first and foremost, that would be around inclusion. Um, so we talk about uh, the need to support students to function to the best of their ability and circumstances. So that might look different for different students and for the families that they fit into. There's also a really strong message around collaboration and working together. Um, so schools really need to think about who are going to be the stakeholders involved in uh, doing case management and supporting students around their support needs. There was also a couple of descriptors in there around developing, monitoring, disseminating and evaluating a plan of action. And in the years that I've engaged in case management, I'd say that's probably the hardest part, keeping consistency happening around case management. We often start with the very best intentions and then things get very labour intensive and time intensive. Sometimes our initial plan doesn't work as we thought it might. Uh, so that requires that ongoing monitoring and reviewing. And if I could advocate any one thing for schools to really stick to, it's around that monitoring and reviewing. So your plan A can become plan B, plan C, plan D. And for our really complex and challenging students, you might be case managing for years, which means you have to consider transitions across settings too. And it's interesting as you make that point about monitoring and reviewing, the case management plan that you start with, like you just indicated, is not where you land. It's ever evolving to meet the needs as they are re-identified, defined, and need to be addressed, don't they? Absolutely. So you're catering for those really intensive, individualised needs. So that's really important to consider. When you consider your entry requirements into case management, you're not going to be able to case manage every student in your school. It's just too labour intensive and too time intensive. So you need to make sure you've got some really good criteria for having that entry process into case management. And Christina, what would you recommend as the criteria for entry? What does our, our framework? Yeah, sure. Um, it's a tricky one uh, because it, it really has some subtleties around um, describing uh, the particular needs of a student. 
So I always talk in terms of the social and emotional needs of the student rather than just the behavioural needs because sometimes we get caught in students um, displaying inappropriate behaviours and that requiring case management. And sometimes that's the case, absolutely, but we're supporting the whole student and all their needs, which means we need to consider engagement using those three lenses of student engagement. So considering cognitive engagement, emotional engagement, and behavioural engagement. So in doing that, uh, when I'm talking to people about case management, there's some key questions that I usually ask. And if we start answering yes to those questions, um, we start thinking this might require some extensive support and then therefore consider case management as a um, way to support and put those interventions in place. So the questions I start with are, um, do the social and emotional responses of the students significantly differ from that of their classmates? So we're looking at developmental needs for students there. Is there a big difference? Should they be behaving a certain way? Should they be responding socially and emotionally differently than what you're seeing? Is that able to be corrected um, with our usual processes? Or is there significant differences in how the students displaying behaviours and engaging with learning? The next one's around social emotional responses that lessen the possibility for successful learning, not only for the student, but for other students as well. So what impact is this having on the classroom? Can your whole of school interventions and your whole of class interventions support behavioural change and support that social emotional learning within the classroom? Or does this require intensive supports? So is it above and beyond what you would do on a normal day? Do we have to differentiate further than we normally would for our classroom to support this student? Have the efforts to address the social emotional responses using those standard interventions been unsuccessful? Because sometimes we forget that we, we're quite creative with our bag of tricks and being able to support students. And it can be exhausting when one student or a couple of students are taking a lot of time um, out of teaching uh, for the teacher and learning for other students. So we forget to use the skills that we develop as teachers and staff all the time, things like our essential skills for classroom management. So we need to revisit those and make sure that we've, we've had a good crack at them and uh, determined whether they've been successful or not. The next question is around those social and emotional responses being serious, persistent, chronic, or a threat to safety of either the student or other students. And a lot of times when I speak to principals or school teams about behaviours, they're very quick to respond. Yep, yep, they're real serious, they're persistent, they're chronic. But when we break that behaviour down and we talk about what that looks like and what it sounds like, the frequency of that happening, the latency, so what does it look like just before the lid blows off mm. completely. Um, those are all really important things to consider and might allow us to look at options for intervention and support before we head right into case management. Uh, the next question is around if those behaviours persisted and those social and emotional responses persisted, are you likely to see ongoing suspensions or loss of school time through um, even self-exclusion of students? Um, students who aren't engaging well with their learning sometimes will just remove themselves from the learning environment. So how are we going to get them to be successful and engage across those three lenses? And if we're starting to look at suspensions as a way of managing the behaviour, 
then we need to think, is there something else we can do? Because we want suspensions and exclusions to be last resort measures that we engage with. There is another question um, that we've started asking as well around transitions. So if a student is transitioning into a new setting, so they might be coming from a kindy setting into a primary school setting or moving into a secondary school setting, um, or even switching high school, say, partway through a year. When you get information about a new enrolment and um, there's questions asked about that particular student's needs, if they were case managed in the previous setting, they really should be case managed into the new setting. And that's part of that transition framework that the region's also been working on. Um, so those are the things I usually talk about with schools when we talk about entry criteria. If you're answering yes to all of those, those questions, we say, okay, we might need to consider case management. Now what's that going to look like? Yeah, and they're great questions. And all of those are on the place map that you referred yes. to. And we'll have some links in the show notes so that people can easily find them because I think there's great uh, pieces in there to reflect on. And Good conversation some... starters too. I think, you know, when you're sitting as a student support team having conversations about have we emptied our bucket? Are we at the end of a rapidly fraying rope? Have we tried everything we possibly can? Because remember, we're putting those continuum of supports in place. If you're going straight to case management as your first port of call, um, you're going to wear everybody out. So you need to make sure that you're using all your support strategies. Yeah. That's a great segue. You're talking about the team and having the team conversation. So, Christina, talk to us about who the team should be in a case management process. Sure. And that looks different in different schools too, remembering that we've got um, small schools in rural and remote settings um, that don't always have access to guidance offices or full-time houses. And then we've got our bigger schools here on the coast that you were lucky enough to have three guidance officers and a hoses and a, and a big um, special education program and all sorts of engagement officers and people who might be able to support. So the first question you need to ask yourself is um, who is going to be able to be present on the team to support the student around those three lenses of engagement. You're going to need to allocate a case manager. In the primary school setting, um, it's usually recommended that that's the classroom teacher, um, but that doesn't mean that the classroom teacher is responsible for everything that happens around case management. They're the natural implementer um, of the plan that might be put in place by the team, so they are best to case manage the student and the supports that go in around the student. In the high school setting, that can look a little bit different. It might be a deputy, it might be a year level coordinator, might be a guidance officer. Um, that would be a conversation that your student support team has. Really important um, to have parent voice present um, in your team as well. And an understanding that sometimes parents can be quite confronted by a group of people who have an educational background um, and they sometimes don't feel like they have uh, a voice that's as loud as others in the room. Sometimes, um, because there's been a couple of suspensions or there's been um, a bit of conflict, uh, parents present in a negative way um, and that can be hard to build that relationship. But if you get parents on board in case management, um, the evidence has shown us that we have more success uh, in engaging students back with their learning. Um, so you might have specialist support, uh, 
internally in your school. So people I've already mentioned, your geo, your hoses, um, your support coordinators, chappies, anybody who might be working with um, the student who can act as a champion for the student. Sometimes that's hard when students are displaying challenging and complex behaviours. Um, but we need somebody at the table who can find something redeeming and work towards the strengths that the student has. Um, you might also like to engage external stakeholders. So sometimes people think um, it's not case management if you don't have external people present. That's not necessarily the case. Um, and sometimes people get confused around that terminology of what case management is too. So we. You might be having case meetings, which are one-off meetings that um, provide support and monitoring for a student, but a case meeting is not case management in and of itself. Case management requires that you have those ongoing meetings that allow you to develop, monitor, disseminate, and continue to evaluate a plan of action. So that means that you have to have those running documents working all the time too. That's a really interesting piece and point that I think sometimes gets lost is the difference between the case meeting and the case management and the management, like you said, is that ongoing review yeah. uh, and a continuation of a process, not yeah. a point in time. Absolutely. And I think that's because case management became quite the catch cry um, for being a good intervention to solve lots of different issues. And I think schools case meet and case conference and case consult really well um, but we sometimes get lost in what case management means and that's really about that significant ongoing review not just your your stock standard support monitoring that we we all do in schools all the time yeah lovely thanks christina for really clarifying that so when it comes to coming together as a group with meetings and meeting protocols what are some things that we need to keep in mind so this sometimes, as I mentioned already, can be a real trick because if um, students have presented with that complex behaviour and have um, started to um, not be very well liked um, in the school setting by their peers, by staff, by other parents, so sometimes principals are fielding complaints from various areas about a particular student, um, it's hard to think from a problem solving point of view and we get caught in that that cycle of problem admiring which doesn't help us then to collaborate around a plan of action um, so we really need to get into that mindset of problem solving making sure as I said previously that everybody at the table has an equal voice because um, we do forget sometimes the simplest things that we can do to engage a student or support a student or we think we must have tried that already and maybe we haven't um, so hearing all those voices, giving everything a go, reviewing plans and documentation for what's worked previously. So it might mean that you need to get out old documentation. It might mean that you need to gather some more data. So who are you going to need sitting at the table? Always recommend that you have some pretty um, clear roles and responsibilities. So your case manager doesn't necessarily need to be your chairperson, um, your note taker and everything else as well. So you might allocate those jobs to people and it might even rotate so that there's a fair and equitable distribution um, of the workload. 
Somebody has to make sure that um, all the plans get uploaded onto one school. Somebody has to make sure that all the playground duties know about the plan. Um, so you need to make sure you've got clear roles and responsibilities for people um, about what that's going to look like. Uh, the other really important meeting protocol that um, I stand by 100% is never let a meeting go over 60 minutes. If you need longer than 60 minutes to um, engage in a case meeting, make another meeting time. 60 minutes is usually enough, 45 minutes is usually enough. Yeah, because I can imagine it would be pretty intensive work. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're gathering all those people, including your external stakeholders from Kim's or child safety, it can, hard, it can be hard to get all those people in one place at one time. And if some of those people can't show up, it's still important to have the meeting. Don't cancel the meeting thinking, we'll wait until we get everybody on board. Because if you're keeping good minutes and you're documenting that, you'll be able to share those minutes and the discussion. Yeah. And again, that's a nice jumping off point around documentation. So what's forefronted here, Christina, with documentation? So documentation is a tricky one because um, we use one school as our one point of truth. So we tend to recommend using complex case support, um, which is a tab in student support in one school. But it can be a little bit clunky at times. Um, so we do have some resources with some tips and hints and some hacks for how you might use that to um, upload things like minutes, and minutes don't need to be a verbatim copy of words that are spoken in a meeting. It can just be dot points of the general content that you spoke about, um, but really important to document any jobs that might have been detailed as part of that meeting. Initially, when you start case management, I find that it's best if you're using an agenda. And we've got some templates again um, on the team site that you can use if you choose to that guide the conversation, especially if there's a bit of conflict between parties initially. But we do recommend going back to student plan and using personalised learning record to upload your plans. And don't replicate things if you don't have to. So if you have a student in outer home care, their ESP would be their plan and you would document everything into the ESP. There's no need for you to have a ESP, a behaviour support plan, a individual support plan, a risk assessment management plan. Um, keep it nice and tight and I always think it's good to consider if a supply teacher is arriving tomorrow, what would be the information you have to give them in order to support this student the way that the classroom teacher would support them. And one plan is better than five. Oh, good point. Let some common sense prevail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great, Christina. Thank you. So got the plans in place, uh, communicated, disseminated, people are actioning them. Yeah. Now we get to the monitor and review piece, which is you know, a key characteristic, as we've said, of case management. It is really important that once you decide you're going to start to case manage a student, that you continue to case manage them until you either close the case or you transition the student to a new setting. So there might be a, a year six student moving into a high school setting in year seven. That's fine. You would transfer that over using your transition processes and indicate what's working for the student, what's not working for the student. 
what we have seen at different times is that people start with the best will in the world, um, case managing, meeting every fortnight, meeting every week, whatever the needs might be, and then people can't make it to certain meetings, so the meetings start dropping off, uh, behaviours increase, or we get emotional responses that um, aren't developmentally appropriate, and that leads to a suspension, and then there's a parent complaint. We say, whatever happened to the case management we were doing? So really important that you keep those processes going with your calendar invites and running a couple of systems and routines around that. But if you start, you have to get to a point where you either close or transition. Don't just let it fall away. That's good advice as well. Are you aware of examples of closing cases? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Sometimes for students, there might be things that are happening in their background or in their family circumstances at the moment. So I can think of cases where there might be family breakdown um, between two parents, which is producing some emotional responses from students. Um, but as that settles at home, the behaviours reduce and things improve. And we can say, you know what, I don't think we need to case manage this student anymore. We can go back to our whole of class supports or our whole of school supports. And if we need to start case management again down the track, we can do that. So there's an agreement by the team that we no longer need to meet quite so frequently. We don't need an individualized intensive plan around this student anymore. And we just document that into our notes. Thank everybody. Mm. And hope that um, we don't have to case manage that particular student again. But if we do, that's fine. We just start the process by looking at those entry requirements again. And as you talk about that ongoing commitment and the complexities to around, you know, having everyone there and the processes around, you know, running a good meeting with agendas and minutes, the collaboration piece, having everyone around the table, it really does speak to me about having good whole of school systems so that the case management process doesn't get lost in the busyness of the school life, does it? Then? Absolutely. And I think that's, that's a really important point because we don't want case management to be a standalone process. It has to be part of a continuum of supports. And so we're talking about our, our multi-tiered support systems. You have your whole of school supports that you put in place around expectations and consequences and reward systems. And then your targeted interventions that support students that might need um, some additional social emotional or learning activities to support them with their engagement. Um, and then you have your intensive supports. Sometimes we see schools jumping from whole of school support straight to complex case management. Um, so we've got lots of tools in the department that can help with that too. So your student learning and wellbeing framework will help you outline that. Um, your parent and community engagement framework will help you build those community networks um, and those external supports that might um, support students as well. Uh, so we've got lots of tools that we can use. There'll be some links, again, um, through the podcast that will take you to different places in one portal to support that as well. And, of course, the really big one around every student succeeding and state school improvement strategy, when we look at the focus areas there, case management's hitting all of those. With students in the centre, and then we're working on teaching, building capability, building partnerships, looking at wellbeing, inclusion and performance. 
also important to note that in the state school improvement strategy, there's there's three very broad measures that case management will support with two around achievement, engagement, well-being, and transitions. So as long as you've got those um, multi-tiered support systems in place, you make good consideration for what will be your entry criteria into case management. You ensure you follow through with your monitoring and reviewing. Hopefully you'll be able to measure some successes. The other point I'd like to make is that it's important to look back sometimes and see how far you've come. Sometimes schools and um, staff get so overwhelmed with the forward looking. We've got so far to go with this student or they seem to be so far behind other students or they're not engaging appropriately. We get caught in that deficit model. If you look over your shoulder from where you came from, these students usually have moved some distance in a case management process. And it's important for us to recognise that when we're having our meetings as well. Yes, there's a journey still ahead of us, but we've come a long way and we need to acknowledge that this process is helping that. And those celebrations of, you know, even small wins Absolutely. can buoy us to, to keep doing that such important work that Absolutely. has an impact, yeah, because it's all those little wins that add up to big results. And it's that consistency piece too, isn't it? Not not dropping the ball because it's not working, but keep coming back, keep coming back. And, and I guess that was the last question that was forming up in my mind, Christina, is just talk about the links between a case management process and inquiry. Yes, well, um, as we know, we use inquiry cycle to support school improvement across a lot of our agenda pieces, but case management's an inquiry cycle as well if it's done properly. So you start with that scan and assess. So we decide by using some criteria whether this student should be engaged in case management. We might gather a bit more data. We might say, no, no, we're not going to engage in case management yet. We still need some diagnostic testing or some psychometric testing, or we need um, mum to visit a paediatrician and get some more medical supports or have a chat to an occupational therapist. So we gather that data and then we move through into that um, developing cycle. So putting a plan together, making sure that that's working actioning that through ongoing processes, a review process, very important in our inquiry cycle, and then working back through again. So sometimes we move through that inquiry cycle several times because our priority keeps changing too. As we start being successful in meeting the priority in one area, we might say, well, now we need to work on the next area. We develop a plan, we action it, we review it, we gather some more data to determine what's next. Yeah, that's and case management will do that for you. Yeah, thank you. That's a lovely link. Mm. So is there anything else that you wanted to make mention of? Um, just not to beat yourself up when it seems a bit hard. I think um, that's a big challenge in our schools. We do have very diverse populations and we do have some students with some very complex and challenging behaviours. But as I said, if you spend that time looking over your shoulder and seeing where you came from, you will see successes. Remember that case management is a process, so it's not going to be fixed quickly in some cases. Um, I'm, just as you asked me, have I ever seen any case management um, 
processes close. I've seen some that have extended for four or five years as well. So some of them can be lengthy um, and across different settings too. So that's important to note as well. But this is our best practice model. We know this works when we do it properly. If you need support, there are lots of people in state schooling and in regional services who are able to talk you through the framework and the processes. Thank you, Christina, and thank you for bringing your experience and expertise to this piece of work, because I know you, you've worked with the team to put all of this together on the place map for us. And like we said earlier, there'll be a link in the show notes to this. And we also have a substantial team of people in the region that can mm. support schools in this work as well. So uh, if someone's listening in and thinking, oh, well, you know, how can I get support? Who would you suggest they reach out to? I'd say your guidance network is your first and best bet. Um, most of our schools have access to a guidance officer um, and have support through your senior guidance officer also. But we've got our Supporting Vulnerable Students um, inbox that's managed by state schooling as well. Um, so people like Debbie Webb, um, our Principal Advisor Restrictive Practices, our Autism Coach, our Inclusion Coach, all those people are able to support. So principals are welcome to talk to their art about what they think that might look like and who might be the best support for their particular case. If it's a, an issue around mental health, then it might be the mental health coach or a guidance officer or a senior guidance officer that you access. Um, so it'll vary a little bit, but there are lots of supports that we can swing into uh, from region into yeah. schools to help. All of those that you just rattled off just prove the point. There are so many people that can yeah. support this, isn't there? Yeah. So thank you. So, Christina, you know, with the podcast, we wrap up with the fast five that yes. aren't really so fast. So... You ready to play along with us? Sure. <laughs> Great. So, Christina, when and where was your first teaching appointment? So, my first teaching appointment was at um, Tulua State High School as a math science teacher way back in 1997, I think, was my first year there. Oh, so, yeah. great. <laughs> Just down the coast of it. Yeah. So, that's great. <laughs> so, Christina, when you think about your work, what was the last thing that made you smile? Oh, this was an interesting one because I find myself giggling a lot in my office lately. <laughs> um, the interesting thing is around um, staffing. We've got a really diverse and eclectic group um, that works in uh, regional services and um, they make me smile regularly, but in particular their ability to lift and support each other and the team um, because regional services really is a diverse area that supports across lots of different areas. Yeah, and that was highlighted when you talked about the interesting things about your job at the start. Yeah. yeah. Um, Christina, what's your best book or film recommendation? Oh, th this was a hard one, Trudy. I had to think about this. But um, the favourite film I always come back to is Shawshank Redemption, uh, just because of its messages around patience as a virtue. Um, and sometimes life is tough and you've got to make do with what you've got. Um, but that whole principle of circular certainty that sometimes what goes around comes around, so there's some justice in things too. Yeah, great. Thank you. It is a great movie. Mm. What's your favourite quote? This was a tough one too, when I had to actually sit and think about it. Um, but the one I settled on was, um, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. And I think that really resonates with me lately, especially dealing with some parental complaints and um, some challenging parents at times. 
people have different versions of the truth and it's what you can stomach that um, leads you to what you value most, I think. Mm, that's a great one. Thank mm. you. And as far as things to see in CQ, what's our best kept secret? Oh, our best kept secret, I reckon, is Rockhampton's built heritage um, and the um, very many heritage listed buildings just even here around the Rocky office. I did a little bit of research on this. There's um, three city blocks on Key Street that have been classified in the Queensland National Trust since 1976. And um, since the Queensland Heritage Act of 1992, many of the buildings have been listed as part of the state's cultural heritage. So we've got the domed customs house building, um, which was completed in 1901, which is often described as one of um, the best government buildings in Australia. We've got the former um, Harbour Board Office, which was built in 1898 um, and speaks to Rockhampton's history as a, as a harbour port, you know, a very busy river port. We've got the School of Arts building across the road here on Bowlesover Street that was opened in 1894. We've got the Heritage Tavern, which was built also um, in 1898, and the Trustees Chambers in uh, 1877. So just walking along the river and seeing all the history. And then up on the range, of course, we've got some of those lovely old Queenslanders and gabled houses that have a, a strong heritage listing and backing as well. So I think that's one of our best kept secrets. Yeah, it is a beautiful feature of this city, isn't it? Mm. It struck me when I first moved here mm. many years ago. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, the development of the riverbank kind of enhances all those old buildings down yeah. there. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. No and again, thank you for being part of this episode. Really do appreciate your time and, and the knowledge that you've brought to this topic. So thanks, Christina. Thanks for having me. If you have suggestions or recommendations for future episodes or you'd like to give us the gift of feedback, you can email us at cqcommunications at qed.qld.gov.au. If you have enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You will find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and Deezer. If you know of an educational leader in central Queensland who may also enjoy listening to the conversations, please help us spread the word by telling them about the podcast or forwarding the email that comes each fortnight with the show notes. Thanks, Christine. Thank you for listening to Central Queensland Region's Reading and Learning Podcast. We trust this conversation has given you the information and inspiration to lead so that every student in our region succeeds.